You're part of the Yorkshire Air Ambulance, aren't you? I am. Was it a tough four years for you? Every day is completely different. You never know what you're going to go to. It might be, you know, an elderly person who just has a urine infection, for example, or it might be something completely horrific, like someone hanging. When you get called out to people who want to take their lives, is that a regular occurrence? It's it's quite a big thing. Unfortunately, a lot of people that commit suicide are the people that you don't know about. Yeah. You just find them. So there's one job that will always sort of stay with me and... Um, we went to a, a patient who had unfortunately died. So as we were going towards the house, you could hear crying, which is natural, you know. Um, but there were three kids there, sort of three young teenagers, and the dad went upstairs. There's nothing that we could do for this patient, you know, that they, they died in the night. Came downstairs and sort of said to the dad, you know, can we just have a chat? And he said, anything that you have to say to us, he said, you say it to us all as a family. So I've now got a dad and three kids stood in a line looking at me. So, what do you do here? Sam, nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you. How's things, mate? You good? Yeah, good, thank you. Ian. Come from far? Four hours away, Bridlington. Four, oh, four hours. Well, listen, uh, thanks for making the journey, mate. Really, really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, um, how's life treating you in general? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, good. good. Run up to Christmas. Christmas comes around too fast, doesn't it? It does, mate. It does. It's, uh, it's before you know it. It's there and it's gone. Absolutely. Which is, oh, I like that bit. No, no, no I'm not I'm not a Grinch. I actually enjoy <laughs> Christmas because you can completely switch off, can't you? Yeah. Um, well, listen, thank you for coming on. And the reason why I've got you on is because your career is absolutely fascinating. You're part of the Yorkshire Air Ambulance, aren't you? I am. And when you hear that word air ambulance, people think that, you know, it's used every now and then for major major incidents, um, that, you know, it's sat on tarmac most of the time. <laughs> um, so over to you to really tell us what you do and what the Yorkshire Air Ambulance does um, in, in a nutshell. So, yeah, so how, how did you get into it? How did you get it. into becoming a part of the, the air ambulance? Is it, did you work your way up through through the paramedic world or what? Yeah, so it's a long story, really. So I won't bore you too much with the oh, details. Listen, but <laughs> go, go ahead. <laughs> so generally, to get on the air ambulance, you need to be, well, you, you have to be a paramedic or a consultant okay. in either emergency medicine uh, or anaesthetics. That's okay. sort of the, the people that work on there. Obviously, you've got the pilots as well. And that's a very different story of, of what they have to go through to get there. Um, but for me, generally, so we're seconded through the ambulance service. So I work for Yorkshire Ambulance Service and they sort of loan you out, if you like, to the air ambulance. Um, I know there are a few charities around the country that employ their own paramedics, but the model that we use, you know, we've got sort of the, the air ambulance and then the ambulance service. So it, it's, it's a nice dynamic, really. So you start off in the um, the ambulance service. You do doing your routine calls. I suppose it's, 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 is 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 it any different to doing your routine calls on on a day than it is to doing in the air? Yeah. Um, and you work your way through um, through that system up to uh, is it up to the air? Do you need to be specifically qualified? Is there a a, a course that you do? Is there a yeah. is there a training package that you do to, in order to, to become part of that air ambulance? There is. I mean, it's probably best to sort of say that to be a paramedic in the first place, you know, yeah. you have to go to university. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, the qualifications now, it's sort of three years at university. 
and then you come out and do a two-year period on the road. And this is for paramedics. This is just for just for a paramedic. So three um, years uni, two years on on the road. Two years on the road is sort of consolidating that as they call them NQPs, newly qualified paramedics. Great, so they work in that that, that package can't, then comes together as a five-year package, right? Yeah, and so they've got a bit of support there as well. You know, rather than sort of turf map university saying there you go, mm-hmm. go for it. And um, they've got some support there. They've got people they can call. I mean, we've all got people that we can call, but it's it's quite robust for them, which is really really good. Yeah. Um, you know, you can go to university straight from leaving school at 18 and then three years later out on the road seeing probably some of the most terrific things wow. that you can ever imagine seeing. So it's quite a lot for them. Um, yeah. So the NQP period is absolutely great. And just quickly, whilst you're talking about the training, because yeah. uh, similar with the military, you know, you train and then obviously you go into combat yeah. and it doesn't prepare you for what you what you see in combat. Does no. the three years training prepare you for what you see on the road or is that a completely... <laughs> different experience it, it doesn't it doesn't i suppose okay. it, it it varies on a a lot of scales really it depends where you work it depends what you go to you know guys on the road that work on a, an ambulance they can go maybe a year and only see one cardiac arrest during that period yeah um so you know maybe one cardiac depends arrest. the area i suppose yeah. doesn't it the yeah. the area the catchment area is is massively to do with with how much you're going to see how much you're going to witness and yeah. how much you and where whereabouts do you operate out of is it the whole of Yorkshire? So the air ambulance is the whole mm. of Yorkshire. Okay, wow. So we've got That's two air bases. Big, big spectrum, right? Yeah, so I think Yorkshire is about 5,000 square miles mm-hmm. um, and about 5.5 million people. Um, wow. Probably to put that into context, it's I think it worked out about 2.5 million football pitches. That's sort of the... <laughs> That's a lot. The area that we've covered. A lot. Just with a two lot air. of people, right? It's a lot of people, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's quite a big... Um, sense of responsibility, especially as you're flying over Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you think to yourself that if anything happens to any of you mm-hmm. that requires a pre-hospital critical care team, and that mm-hmm. comprises of a, a critical care paramedic and a critical care doctor, then then we're it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ultimately, um, you're a flying hospital um, because yeah. you only go. And correct me if I'm wrong. I might not, I might be getting this wrong, but you obviously only go to the most horrendous of incidents the the most critical yeah. where they need you to get there as quick as you can to get them out and to a to a hospital or to a, yeah. a unit asap right that's it so the difference between the ambulance services you're on the road dealing with like you said you could deal with a couple of cardiac arrests but here you know with the air ambulance you're going into carnage is that did you prepare yourself for that we do so we're quite lucky in yorkshire we've got a, what we call the air desk um, and okay. essentially what that is, it's, it's a number of screens and we can see every single 999 call that comes in for Yorkshire. Um, and we can also listen to those as well. So as that person's making the call, we can uh, we can listen to exactly what they're saying and we can mm-hmm. also ask the call taker. I mean, I've got a newfound respect for call takers because what they have to go through day in, day out is unreal. Like the, the questions that they have to ask time and time again and the things that they hear on the phone. But we can add to those questions. Yes, yeah, so um, it's the organisation. Organisation is layered automatically. So you go from the call centre to listening yeah. in to then them calling you, but you preempting preempting that, I suppose. Or we dispatch ourselves. You do, yeah. Wow. So we can listen to the call and think, you know what? I didn't know. This that. Sounds like something that we can make a difference with. Um, I mean, the skills that we have, the skill, the things that we can do, as you say, it's essentially bringing the hospital to to the road. Whether that's open heart surgery, uh, in terms of, I mean, we'd only do that in the. Mm-hmm. most extreme cases but you know for someone that's in, in cardiac arrest from a traumatic cause we can open the chest up to uh, get into the heart to, to release some of the pressure that might have been built up around it and try and stitch it back together last last ditch attempt but you know that's normally done in the hospital so you're like the special forces of the paramedics if, I, if i'm putting it that <laughs> way not is the it? first time i've heard someone <laughs> is, is that, that is is it 
Is that yeah. right? I think generally speaking for paramedics, you know, um, you don't join wanting to go to the urgent care stuff. If you wanted to do no, that, you, you'd go into maybe to be a GP or something. Mm -hmm. So you, you do become a paramedic for that emergency work to, you know, for those critical incidents to be able to make a difference. Mm -hmm. um, and I think probably for most paramedics, it'd be fair to say that the air ambulance is the is the, is the goal. That's where mm -hmm. they want to be. That's what they want to work as. And that's just because of the stuff that we do. And what made you want to do that transition? Were, were you, do, you, were, do you get sort of certainly qualified where they go, well, we think this, this is the next draft for you or do you put yourself forward for it? You put yourself forward for it. I, I've always wanted to do it. Volunteer, you volunteer your services for it. Yeah, that's that's it. I mean, ever since been in school, um, I remember it, quite vividly sat in year six at primary school in Scarborough and I, I saw the ambulance fly past. I thought I want to do that. Really? Uh, yeah, when I was younger and ever since then, it's been my, my sort of goal. I spoke to a career advisor back at school and they said, uh, what do you want to do? I said, well, be a paramedic. They said, well, you've, you've got to join the army to be a paramedic. I thought, well, that's, that's me out then. <laughs> that's, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not joining the army. No, you don't. Um, and then sort of various other things, various other jobs. Uh, and it was ultimately the Coast Guard, sort of volunteering for the Coast Guard that got me into um, being a paramedic. It sort of- Oh, so you're, you're a volunteer Coast Guard? Yeah. So talk me through through your, your career, sort of leaving school and, because that's obviously comes hand in hand, I suppose, you know, if you're, you're air, land and, and sea, right? It's That's it. Yeah. I mean, the career from leaving school, I was told I couldn't be a paramedic because I needed to join the army. Um, and that was a, a step too far for me. So I thought, you know what, what do I do? At the time I was helping my friend out on his farm. Um, so basically thought, you were ill-advised ill because that was never the yeah, case. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, it was yeah, never no, the case. No, no, no. But I mean, paramedicine, it, it's quite new in, in the grand scheme of yeah, things. Yeah, it is. You're right. Yeah. They've only been around since sort of 2000. Mm -hmm. Um, and back then it was a six week training course. Wow. Um, of which one of the uh, components that you had to do was fold a blanket. Um, and that's from, you know, one of the paramedics who's done that training course and then is still working on the road now. She said, that's wow. the, that's sort of the level it was at then. And then you're looking at sort of three years minimum now at university. Some, some even do four. Yeah, because of the responsibility and what you have to deal with, it, re it releases the pressure off of everyone else, right? It's a case of, right, so, now these guys are first on the scene. Um, they need to, you, you need to keep that patient alive no matter what that's your goal right it's hemorrhaging it whatever it is amputee it's like it's a case of right keep this person um go and keep this person alive until we can get them to where they need to be i.e the critical care that they need yeah i mean ultimately the, the patients that we go to we sort of handpick them to a certain extent because we know that we can make a difference um we're not going to go flying off to every job that comes in for Yorkshire. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a very niche sort of set of skills that we have, but we're very busy with those at the same time. So that it shows that there's there's that need. Um, mm. But essentially, you know, uh, one thing that we do RSI is sort of putting someone into an induced coma. So essentially, if you go in for an operation at hospital, you'll get put to sleep so you can have the operation. Yeah, That's what we do. Um, and in a traumatic scenario, you know, the guys in hospital, they're doing that in a nice lit environment on a bed with lots of people around to be able to help them. Nevertheless, it's still a really, really tricky task, but we do that at the, the yeah. side of a road in the yeah. in the rain. Or with in in the uh, in the helicopter, right? Or on the on the on not the so road. much. It's, no? a bit, it's a bit tight for space in the helicopter. Is it? So generally speaking, we like to do everything that we need to do before we, we get we the patients in. Dispatch and go. So yeah, take me back. Uh, so you you were volunteer lifeguard. What what made you want to do that? Uh, so the, the coast guard. It was coast um, guard. Sorry. Yeah, it was it was a friend actually who okay. said, "Have you thought about the coast guard?" So this was the natural progression. You said you have to you have to join the army to be. You are, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Next thing, coast guard, right? Yeah, that okay. was from leaving that. I thought, you know what, I can get some experience doing 
doing this. Um, and also at the time, the Coast Guard had a, had a deal with the ambulance service, if you like, so we could respond to some of their Cat 1 calls, which are the most uh, serious calls Severe, that were coming yeah. around the area. Um, so I did that. Did you watch the Kevin Costner movie? What's it called? Um, that life of that Coast Guard <laughs> yeah, movie. Did, yeah. did that inspire you to join the Coast Guard? Be honest. No, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm joking. Yeah. That was a good film. After watching that film, what's the film called with Kevin Costner? That Coast Guard film that he done. I can't, um, remember, it's I can't remember. It was a brilliant, brilliant film. Yeah. But um, yeah, I wanted to join the Coast Guard after that. So um, <laughs> you joined the you joined the Coast Guard at what age? Uh, so I joined the Coast Guard. It would have been ten years ago. So twenty. Oh, okay. Yeah, age nice. 20. Um, and from there, it sort of, it led into what I'm doing now. So the Coast Guard, it's got different levels of training that you can go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was on a job one day with the Coast Guard and the ambulance service. Um, one of the, the manager of the ambulance service was there. And he said, have you, have you thought about joining, joining the ambulance service, really? Mm-hmm. I said, well, I didn't know you could. Um, so a lot of people would think that on an ambulance, you've got a paramedic. You don't always have a paramedic. There's lots of different grades of people that you can have. That's dependent right. on area. Yeah. So you've got sort of emergency care assistant, um, and the, those guys sort of are the clinician's assistant essentially. So that's what I joined as, um, however many years ago it was. Now, is and that then, sort of like minimal training? It's the case of assisting and helping out where you can. And yeah, essentially, I mean, I think it was it shocked me as to how much training there was for that. Oh, there's a lot of training. Okay, yeah. So it's it's a ten week training course to be an ECA. Oh, okay, got you. Uh, Sorry, four weeks of my that bad. Is, no, no. <laughs> Uh, but this is the thing, you know, no one understands how many different layers there are to the ambulance service and, and mm-hmm. what we can actually bring. Um, but yeah, no, an ECA, it's 10 weeks. So, so you transferred, you went over, yeah, did convinced the you to go to go and do the, is it ECA course? ECA, yeah. yeah. Um, different areas have different names for it, but essentially mm-hmm. it's the self and same thing. Uh, so yeah, I went over, I did that and never looked back since really. Um, and then just progressed from there? Yeah, so from there, the ambulance service put me through my paramedic degree because I had a Got degree you. previously I was able mm-hmm. to sort of jump straight onto that uh, I don't think they do the same thing now so I was quite lucky to be able to so only six months as an ECI and then moved on to be a paramedic um, university and then out onto the road on an ambulance for a good few years cool how many years did you do on the road uh, so it would have been only about four, I think. And um, was that a real eye opener? Was it, were you prepared? Like I said before about the training, we we get extensive training in the military. Then you hit yeah, the battlefield, yeah. and it's like, well, you sort of learn as you go, don't you? You, you, you do. it's trial and error. You make mistakes. You know, we're not we're human. We all make mistakes, and yeah. you know, some of those mistakes stay with you. Some of them, you know, you you use as an uh, as a life experience to to better your knowledge on what you're doing and to yeah. to move on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, was it a tough four years for you? It was. I, yep. I can remember coming out of sort of from being the student paramedic with my mentor and you've almost got this safety bubble. You think to yourself, you know what, I can go to anything. I've got it in the bag. I, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go out and it's on you. The responsibility is on you. You automatically think, oh my God, yeah, I wasn't prepared for this. Yeah, no one's uh, there to sort of, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you've always got people that you can ring, but ultimately it's just you and your crewmate dealing with patients and what um, were you dealing with on a day-to-day basis what was what, you, know, you, you just don't know what you're going into right it's no. just like a case of right the fucking call gets called and you yeah you can listen into stuff and you can get a rough idea but yeah, the yeah. moment you open that door and you step into it yeah it's it's a whole different ball game right it's just like bang you, you yeah. your training kicks in your instincts kick in your, your empathy kicks in you know everything kicks in doesn't it that's it every day is completely different you mm-hmm. never know what you're going to go to mm-hmm. um you get a job through on your screen and it's got some very very basic information from what the call taker has been able to take at that moment in time mm-hmm. um if you just round the corner you get there and it might be you know an elderly person who 
just has urine infection, for example, or it might be something completely horrific, like someone hanging. You just don't know the one. And who, 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 like you said, with, with the ambul- um, the air ambulance service, you decided to dispatch yourselves. Yeah. Who decides to dispatch you in an ambulance? So in an ambulance, it's yeah. it's very different. You've got sort of a control centre. So uh, you've got no control over where you go. No, no. no. But with you the with them. the air ambulance, you do. Yeah. So sometimes do. you get called out to, like you said, it might be an elderly person with a. Do do, do you get frustrated? Does that frustrate you sometimes, knowing that that no, it's, or do you just to so deal much. with each job as it as it comes? I mean, obviously, you see all the adverts, don't you? So only call nine 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 in emergency. Yeah, yeah. You don't know what an emergency is for people. Um, for, okay, for us, yeah. it might be Which absolutely nothing. But for, for those guys, you know, that might be the worst day of their life. They might be worried. They might have read something. There's yeah, lots I get that. Of different I things. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't get frustrated particularly with those. What I did get frustrated with was, um, as we call them, time wasters. But I once went to a call. Uh, it came through very little information. And the information that you get is only as good as what you're told. That's all we've got to go on. And we went and, and this person just wanted the TV remote changing. The batteries in the TV remote. And they called 999 for that. You're joking me. No. Ugh, that remote, I'd have been like that open. <laughs> no. Um, um, wow. See, this is what I, what I talk about when I say, you know, there's some some calls you go to. Yeah. How, how do you deal with, and I've got, I don't suffer fools, as you know. <laughs> so um, a lot of people don't. But I'm very empathetic. I've got a lot of compassion. Um, but when it's self-induced, you know, when you tip up and someone's just completely drunk or, you know, they're, they're, they're drugged out of their heads and all they need really is a lift home to put their heads down the toilet to, you know, d- d- does that frustrate you when you go to things and you and then you, you know deep down, because I know that you guys are sort of inundated, you know deep down your skill set could be used um, elsewhere? It can be frustrating. Yeah. And I think it's really, really easy to, to let it, get to you yeah if does it get to you, you though not me no no i no. think it's just how you how you deal with it in your mind yeah. if you if you sit there and you're frustrated and you're angry with yourself then that's just going to perpetuate into a bigger problem down the line yeah whereas if you just say you know what it is what it is there's nothing i can do to change it mm-hmm. so let's just do the best that we can for these people and i'm not talking about we're going to go change double a batteries in tv remotes all the time um <laughs> but more the fact that you know for the people that generally need our help they need our help everything rolls downhill doesn't it and sort of the ambulance service picks up. I always like to describe it as sort of like the, the Swiss army knife of medicine. Yeah. We do a bit of everything. Yeah, I like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with the services as they are, so social care, it's it's massively underfunded in that respect and there's just nowhere for people to go. You look at hospital delays and it all sort of boils down to other services not being able to accept um, these patients because they're just everyone's just so, so busy. And how many calls do you go to where... It is self-induced. Um, do you, we hear about it all the time? You know, especially, yeah. oh, you know, on a weekend, you have some ambulances parked up in some locations. You know, I, I remember Portsmouth used to be a prime example of it. Portsmouth, you know, down the front, they've taken away all the bars and all the pubs now. Yeah, yeah but you used to have Joanna's and you used to have, lo- you know, and the ambulances used to just be literally parked up outside this strip of pubs and clubs, knowing that. Um, something is going to happen and every single time it did happen and that's I think that's why they took all the pubs and clubs away it wasn't because of you know it was because of the the emergency services 
yeah. wasting their resources, their time and their knowledge and their, their skill set on something that was inevitable. So the only way that they could sort of eliminate that was by taking these clubs and pubs away. How many calls do you go to where it's self-induced either by drugs, alcohol, you, you name it? So I think for the ambulance service as a whole, obviously we don't do this particularly on the ambulance. No, but the, uh, yeah, talking but about the ambulance, the ambulance service, service we're gonna, yeah, they go to quite a lot. Yeah, um, they go to quite a lot of self-inflicted things, whether that be sort of mental health problems mm-hmm. or uh, you know that's caused them to do something else, or yeah. alcohol obviously has, has quite a part with that. Whether it be drink, drugs, you know, um, yeah. a lot of it can be self-inflicted. But again, there's a. There's did a, you see a lot of that when you were in the ambulance yeah. uh, service at yeah. four years when you were there? Did you see? Did you see a lot of that? Yeah. Okay. But you like to think, you know, you go out in town and you see all the people out drinking this, that and the other, and most of them are, are okay. Mm. Uh, most of them don't need the emergency services. But then for just this select few people, they do go down the yeah, line to need you never know, it. I suppose. But you never know what the backstory is at the same time, I suppose. You know, I've drink always makes people open up a little bit more, doesn't it? Yeah, I've absolutely. had people on the back of an ambulance and, you know, they've been, I don't know, arrested for fighting or something like that and they want us to check them out. Mm. And how they open up and something that they're going through has caused them to sort of drink too much or take something. Yeah, um, absolutely. So it's often, but then also you do get the people who just drink too much. And When I talk about self-induced, talked about alcohol, drugs, and I don't want to say suicide is, is self-induced, but when you get called out to people who want to take their lives, um, is that a regular occurrence? And does that happen often? It, it is quite regular. Yeah. Um, and we see this both with the, the air ambulance and also, you know, with the Coast Guard, it's it's quite a big thing. And it, it's always, Oh, it is a big thing. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And it's really, really sad that, you know, those people have um, got to a certain point where they don't feel like they can talk to anyone. They don't feel like anybody's helping, despite maybe the, the best mm. the best efforts. Uh, and it's, it's sad that they've, they've come to this point of wanting to take their own life. Because, you know, you hear people saying that suicidal people are cowards, you know. I don't agree with that. I mm. think it takes a lot to be in that mindset and then 100%. also maybe to stand on the edge of a cliff or something and, and do it. That takes a lot. So you have to appreciate the amount of stuff that they might be going through in the mind that they don't maybe don't feel comfortable to talk to someone about that makes them do that. And how do you get that? So obviously they're not making the call. Is it just a call from someone else saying there's someone on a bridge? There's someone that's, uh, you know walking close to a motorway, there's someone that's on the top of a cliff. Is, is it normally calls um, from a third party and then obviously you act on, on on what they have to say? Yeah, there's a lot of calls that come through about it. Maybe, as you say, someone that might be passing underneath the motorway to say someone that's stood on the other side or uh, texts to say someone's received a text from a relative to say that you know they want to kill themselves and going to hang themselves. Unfortunately, a lot of people that commit suicide are the people that you don't know about. Yeah. You just find them. And yeah. people would say, you know, we knew nothing about it. They live a normal, happy life. We didn't know they were struggling. So that's really sad. Mm-hmm. But the people that, you know, that do reach out for help, um, they go on the internet and they try and get self-help and, you know, you've got all the brilliant charities that are around and friends and family that they can talk to. But at the same time, you've got people who, I won't say capitalise on it, but it's really, really horrible that certainly with the Coast Guard, um, where I'm from, Benton Cliffs, mm-hmm. quite high cliffs, and obviously if you go from the top, uh, you're going to die. Yeah. And there's a website that advertises uh, suicidal spots around the UK. So people, as they're typing in, I want to commit suicide, this, that, and the other, rather than they've been... And, you know, whoa, these whoa, websites... Whoa, wait, wait, Sam. So there's websites... Let me just, just go back. So there's websites out there, yeah. I suppose, on the dark web or no. just... No. No. 
Just that advertise the best places to commit suicide. So if you yeah. jump from this cliff, you're definitely going to die because it's this high, there's rocks at the bottom, etc. That's it. Like the Humber Bridge near Hull, Bempton Cliffs. You're all, joking me. No. And don't get me wrong, people try and take these websites down, but as soon they as one's up. taken down, one's, one pops up again. Um, wow. And I suppose that's a huge problem for the Coast Guard, is it? Coast Guard is, yeah. Uh, especially this time of year, you know, coming up to Christmas, people are struggling with money, especially with the cost of living going up as it is at the minute. Yeah. And then after Christmas, you, you know, it's just that time of year where these problems are more prevalent and people do feel more suicidal uh, and they are struggling with the thoughts. So, you know, for the Coast Guard, this is a, a time of year that they are dealing with quite a lot of, of that. Wow, do you know what that shocked me that has, that people put up websites for suicide and they're probably goading people to, to go and commit suicide That's it. it's almost if they're stood at the bridge and someone walks past and go what are you waiting for mate jump yeah. it's, it's the same sort of concept right yeah. and how many people do you when you normally go to a call out like that a uh, reference suicide what's the outcome normally is, is it positive or is it negative I'm pleased to say if if we are able to get to people before they do whatever you know they had yeah. they had planned to do that we can quite frequently have quite a positive outcome okay. we That's can help talk to, to them um you know we're not as paramedics we're not trained specifically in mental health yeah and i think sometimes that can be bad but sometimes it's really good because we can just talk to them as people yeah on we, a level right a rather level. than them knowing oh same old spiel i've heard it from a fucking counselor i've heard it from That's uh, it. you know it's like right you can talk to them on a level and through like we mentioned before through life experiences through, through just being in that situation of, right, listen, you're there, I'm here, let's, let's talk it through. Yeah, and just being real with, with each other often can have a really, really good outcome that they know that you know there is someone to listen and uh, if I say this, no one's going to make fun of me or, you know, something like that. And just knowing there are people out there like that. And that's a, is a huge a problem? Help. Is it a huge problem, suicide? Yeah. That you, you, you attend to? Maybe not suicide where they commit the act commit, of suicide, but, but certainly people are suicidal and, suicidal and having those them. thoughts. It's it's huge. Huge. And again, that's huge mental health issues that can come from everywhere and everywhere. That's a, that's another podcast, Sam. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I say self-induced as well. You know, I don't mean that from from those that want to take their lives because obviously there's a whole backstory there in a completely different headspace. Yeah. But um, I suppose those people do need help right they need serious serious help and once you've dealt with them do, do they get looked after accordingly within the system do, or do you just pass them on and you know hope, hopefully they get the help that they need so as an emergency service we would just refer them on to refer a mental on. health service um unfortunately mental health services are that yeah. stretched um yeah. that it's just I'd like to say that they get immediate help. They are in the system, and once they're in the system, they do have access to help, but sort yeah. of getting past that barrier, it can be quite a hard thing to do when you're in a crisis. You know, if you sort of, if you if you recognise you're struggling, you can get with the charities, and hopefully the idea is you're going to stop, stop whatever those thoughts are at a certain yeah. point by getting that help to start with. But sometimes people, uh, they might not seek that help, or mm. it might just be so massive that they do have a bit of a mental health crisis, and that's when it can be a little bit difficult to get them in that system. Um, and speaking to the, the correct people who are able to help them going forwards. Um, Your day is never the same, Sam. It's, not. it's never the same. You deal with the whole spectrum of society, right? 
Okay. From from your drunks to your oh my god! Listen, you you have got to put on multiple heads multiple times. So you're not sat there like, like <laughs> fucking someone from the Matrix. Um, well, listen, hats off to you, mate. Um, yeah, good on you. Welcome to my Mind Over Muscle Festival, hosted by myself and Middleton. You're in trouble now. Once you go through these gates, there's no going back. Let's do this. With 250 acres to play with and to fill, come along, fill it up, and come play with Team Ant. My Mind Over Muscle Festival, hosted by myself, Ant Middleton, is open to all. Come along, face your fears, and unlock your true potential. This festival is open to all abilities. It will be action-packed, fear-defying, and a coming together of positive, like-minded people encapsulated with the main ingredient, fun. And sticking to your sort of ambulance service career before we jump onto the air ambulance, yeah. um, who, who are the most vulnerable in these situations? And, and automatically the elderly come to mind, you know, but, yeah. but, but is, is, would that be the case? Who are the most vulnerable when, when you get called out? I'd probably say the elderly. It is, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. It's the elderly, you know, sort of once you get over, over a certain age, everything happens. So if you fall over, we call it silver trauma. So you sort of, if you fall off this table, then you can imagine the table's two and a half times as high and that's sort of the impact it's going to have on your body. Yeah. So the elderly are definitely the most vulnerable, but also, you know, the, the stoicism there from how it used to be back when they were sort of younger, yeah. they'd never call an ambulance for, for anything. Yeah, So exactly. a lot of the elderly people we go to, the generally really, really poorly. And, you know, I've been to people before and they've been literally hours from dying. And they said, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry for calling you. I hope I haven't wasted your time. Wow. So you've got that old generation yeah. of that tough gritty steel who are just like i'll see this yeah. out until i until it's it is an emergency um do you see yeah, do you see that with the the younger generation or are they quick to pick up the phone and go i've broken the nail i think generally speaking they are a little bit quicker to to pick up a phone mm -hmm. so you know you've got 111 now as well uh, yeah, so people right. can ring 111 for advice mm -hmm. but ultimately you know even with those guys the information that they get is only as good as as what they're told yeah. Um, and a lot of the questions, you know, they're, they're designed, designed to be safe, mm -hmm. which also leads down to the response of, of getting an ambulance. Yeah. Although they do save about 70% of, of ambulance calls, they say. So, you know, someone rings 70% of those people that have called, that call who would have otherwise had an ambulance, they've yeah. been able to direct to another pathway. Wow. So although they do take a lot of pressure off the ambulance service, it's mm -hmm. just a constant flow. And um, the ambulance service, are, you, are they constantly on the go? Because you hear about it yeah. all the time. It's like people called an ambulance five, six, seven, 12, 13 hours. Is, is it because of the lack of um, manpower on the ambulance or is it because of the lack of beds in the hospitals? It's a lack of beds in the hospitals. Yeah, that's um, what I heard. That's why I thought because at first you, you naturally think as you know someone that's on the outside, i.e. like myself, you naturally think, well, you must be so inundated with idiots calling up, you know, that's why I talk about drugs, alcohol, self and, you know, self-induced sort of uh, trauma, shall I say, Yeah. Um, where you think, car, you know, these, these people being wasted, but ultimately it's, you can get to, you need that bed in that, in that hospital in order to, to deliver that patient to, to that bed. Otherwise they're just going to be sitting outside, right? And you're going to have a contingent of ambulances with, with clients in the back or, yeah. or patients in the back that haven't got any beds to go to. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, ambulances, you don't generally have a problem with ambulances in terms of staffing. 
that's you know what's reassuring to know that yeah. is, do you know what because a lot of people think it's they're just inundated there's lack of manpower but so there's no there's no there isn't in general no. there's no problem with that you've got the local problems like maybe sickness or something like that yeah. and you know during covid that was a bit more of a problem because of the covid sickness yeah um, but into in general on a day to day there are enough ambulances based on the figures from the previous years of how many calls that we've got yeah to to be able to serve as many people are going to come. Yeah. However, as soon as you get to hospital, you can't just sort of dump your patients and run. <laughs> no, like, you have to, yeah, you wish you could. Roll so, back. Yeah, you wish you could, just <laughs> out there. The old legs pop out. You just <laughs> pop it out. I just imagine opening them doors open and just yeah, rolling them through. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm but it's funny you should say, you know, because there are no beds in hospitals and people are queuing at emergency departments, the back of the ambulance then turns into a bed. A bed. Essentially. So you pull up at the hospital and, you know, the doctors, nurses at the hospital will come out and provide that treatment and start that treatment. In the ambulance? On the back of an ambulance. Wow. Um, and I think that the lack of beds, it's not, you know, due to space. It's more due to the services coming out of hospital. So you get an elderly person going to hospital, you can't just kick them out back home. No. There's a package that they need. There's a social package that they need, you know, mm-hmm. for, for continuing care. Mm-hmm. Because at the same time, it's a really fine balance of, you know, when, when do you say that person's okay to leave hospital? Yep. You can't keep them there until they're 100% because there's an element of self-care that they need to take at home as well. Got you. With help. Um, and whether that be, you know, mental health services or social care. Yeah, or physio. Physio what, yeah, operations, yeah, all exactly, of this sort yeah. of stuff, you know, it'll backlog. It's a duty of care before someone leaves in order to give them that they can sustain it themselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And ultimately it all backs up and A&E hospitals are mm-hmm. where it backs up to. So you were sick of uh, not not sick of the uh, being in the back of an ambulance, but you thought, right, well, I'm going to transition over to the to the air ambulance. What was the training like um, from from the transition from the ambulance service to the air ambulance? So obviously, you, you know what the air ambulance do. Mm. You know, you, you see it on TV, you see posts on social media about mm. the things that they go to. Um, so the training itself, it's almost like you, as you're going through your ambulance service degree, sort of direct self self-training essentially so you put yourselves on courses yeah um there's a course that i did called the atac course anesthesia trauma and critical care mm. and that sort of prepares you really really well for those high fidelity scenarios of people maybe trapped in an environment or something like that mm-hmm. um so that's sort of things that i did prior to applying for the air ambulance mm-hmm. then after that there's a training package that you go through and it's sort of continuous through there so yorkshire at the minute has a critical care pathway so it's a specialist paramedic in critical care mm-hmm. role and those guys are on the road on cars Okay. And that's providing some, you know, really enhanced skills, abilities, extra drugs to the people of Yorkshire, but, but from a car. Yeah. Um, you know, we do the same and more as those guys, but mm-hmm. that training itself is sort of a two-year additional programme at university. Oh, in, wow. So you have to go from there to a, a, an additional programme, two years, before two years. you can get into the back of a helicopter? No, no. So no, that's just so a continuous. So it's continuous, yeah. right? So you can literally make the, make the transfer over do your training sort of uh, yeah. continuously or, or uh, simultaneously yeah. and then obviously qualify as, 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 as you get more experienced, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you have a package of the skills and the drugs and everything yeah. you need to be able to do. That. That's a training course in itself before you get on the aircraft. Mm-hmm. But then going forward, the academic requirement of that is then, is then university. Yeah. And how many people uh, fail that criteria to 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 get into the air ambulance service? Um, so I think it's probably the most sought after job with yep. the ambulance service. So yeah, naturally yeah. you get a lot of people that, that apply. Yep. Um, the process that you go through, you know, it's not just about ability, it's about who you are as a person as well, how well you gel with the team. Absolutely. Because that's something that we have um, that I'd say that you don't really get on the road. Yeah. 
you know, I think we've got maybe 15 to 20 paramedics that work for Yorkshire Ambulance and about 10 doctors. Uh, um, so that's interesting, yes, because on the road, I suppose it's like your shift, your shift, your, but here it's more of a unit, shall we say. It's a unit. Yeah, yeah I get that. We have that's interesting that regular meetings and we work really, really well as a team mm-hmm. because we have to. Um, mm-hmm. So in the aviation world, they sort of call it CRM. Um, everywhere else, it's sort of human factors. Mm-hmm. And it's about having a really, really good understanding of how important that is mm-hmm. uh, to be able to do your job. You know, if you said to perhaps somebody on the road, I didn't think you did a very good job there, they'd they get on the defence and like, well, yeah. what do you mean? Well, you probably couldn't say that. Yeah. Right? So like, yeah. Whereas we do that on a regular basis. Do you know what? Maybe do you know not, what? Maybe not do you know what? And I said that it's equivalent to, because this is exactly the same in the military, right? Yeah. And look all the word, you know, we call ourselves grants, Marines, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call us. But it's the same, you know, it's, you can tell someone to a certain extent, but in the special forces, it's like, where did it fall down? Bang, you, right. We can now do this. We can find out what needs to be done. This is what we need to do better. This is how we need to progress. This is what we need to do to, in order to get the job done next time. It's, it's done and dusted. The, the integrity and the honesty within a team unit like that, when you're working in such a small team, is absolutely crucial, right? Yeah, and it's different to working in the bigger teams where people are coming on, on, on and off shifts. Where here you've got, you, you almost, you create a bond through through integrity, don't you? Through, through, yeah, through going through life experiences together and going, do you know what? I could have done something better there. You could have done something better. Let's air this out. Let's move on take the positives from it and, and move forward to progress, right? Yeah. And that's a really important part of the job. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not doing it to be horrible. We're not doing no, it to say no. you're not very good. We're doing it to help improve ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a genuine want and desire to, and that's what I found with the with the air ambulance, that the guys that are there... Um, I love that. I love that. Go on, the guys they're that just, are there. They're just so driven yeah. to be the best that they can be. Yeah. Um, you know, we do a simulation sort of maybe one or two every single day. And that's just to get that muscle memory. So when you are at the side of a road, down a ditch, in whatever place that we find ourselves in, yeah. that skill, that ability, that thinking that we've got, it's auto, almost automatic because yeah. we, we drill it and we drill it and drill it. And we have that confidence as a really, really small but effective team mm-hmm. that we can go to anything and you know work through it together and, and get it done. Um, Excellent. And can you remember your first flight? As a as a paramedic in the in the ambulance uh, air ambulance service, yeah. So sort of the the first we did a few training flights first of all, mm-hmm. uh, and the first sort of training cool. job that we went on, you know, it was a simulated scenario. It was with mountain rescue. Okay. Um, we did a scenario on, on the moors, and then uh, as part of the aviation training, they simulated a, an engine fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they simulated a crash. Obviously, we just landed. Uh, we got out, and the helicopter flew off. It's like, oh. Right, <laughs> got to find our so, way back. Sounds like escape and <laughs> evasion on selection. It's like, wow. Yeah. But that was just to sort of, uh, you know, expose us to what we might end up in. Yeah, Not course. helicopter crashes, but in no, terms but of the, the places that we were, the, you know, yeah. remote. Well, you, yeah, for those, for the viewers that don't, you, you could be dropped off and the, the weather could change. You know, helicopter, yeah. or the, 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 the situation, you, you might nick something, you know, on, on your helicopter or something might... And it's very possible that helicopter could be missing for, for hours, sometimes days. So yeah. it's a very, very real scenario because those that know how helicopters operate, it only takes for a weather pattern to come in or for something to, a little default to happen. And that helicopter's got to go off shift. You know, it's, it's yeah, a case of, um, so these are very real scenarios that you're putting yourself in. They are, I mean, helicopters, that the temperamental, they don't like to be on the ground. Um, <laughs> yeah. They like to be flying, but as you've already said, sort of weather. Only a couple of days ago, we had to land in the field because the weather came in uh, on the way back from exactly. a job. And mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to sort of wait for that to, yeah. to pass. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the places that helicopters can get to, 
yes. uh, always amaze me. The, the pilots yeah. that we've got are absolutely fantastic and where they can land that helicopter, obviously within legal limits, is just amazing. But yeah. that is also sometimes at the top or bottom of a mountain yeah, and then they have to fly off because they, they can't stay there. So. And where do, you, where do you find yourself flying to most of the time? So is there is there a generic sort of mountains, road, um, fields, you know, rural areas, urban areas? Where do, you, where do you find yourself going to most of all? You generally go to a lot of cities. Oh, um, cities, well. Wow. Based on the population, obviously, yeah. naturally, but then a lot, a lot of the fast roads. So mm. road crashes are probably the, the biggest job that we go to. Okay. Um, and they always look horrific, don't they? crashes yeah, but do, yeah. often with with cars nowadays people aren't that injured in them mm. and you do get obviously the people who are really injured in them sure um, so those are the jobs that we tend to go to the most so mm. landing on a motorway landing on a field at the side of the road is quite a, a regular thing for us yeah and do you do you um going back to your first ever job so out of a training scenario do you remember that uh, honestly, no. No, you don't. You, don't. <laughs> you, you get out of a helicopter, you fly to yeah. a job and you get out of a helicopter and all you're thinking is like, where am I? What am I doing? Well, it's yeah, almost assessing, like a, yeah, exactly. Danger and yeah. you, you're going straight into it. And how often do you get called out? Because the air ambulance service, you know, you hear about funding, you hear about, you know, we need to be kept in the air. And um, are you used as regular as as you'd think? Because a lot of people think that probably used once twice a week, you know, maximum. Are you are you used regular or? Yeah. Yeah, you are. So between the shifts, you know, you can get called out between anywhere, eight jobs a day. Eight jobs a day? Eight jobs a day. Something like oh, that. Well, it, across the whole of one, one, Once or twice a week. Yeah. Oh, do um, you know what? And I forget, you're, I forget how fucking big this, this, this <laughs> especially your, you know, these counties. It's, yeah, it's yeah. huge, right? It's a big place. Eight jobs a day. Eight jobs a day. And they're Obviously all, they're, and these are all critical, critical yeah. jobs. So you're listening in, you're going, right, we need to dispatch ourselves on this one straight away. Bang. Yeah. And, it's, uh, and these aren't all patients that are unconscious. They might require advanced analgesia, for example, for, you know, a really bad broken leg. Um, the crew on scene might require some advanced decision making to be able to support them, make a decision that would be, you know, ultimately in that patient's best decision. But mm -hmm. at the same time, sometimes these people need surgical skills. They need a critical care team and they need it quite quickly. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably say about eight jobs a day that we go to between the two aircraft, dependent on weather, time of year, on average. Eight jobs a day. So you yeah. don't you don't think about that. And is, is, is funding a problem problem with it? Or are you just, you are the, the most critical sort of ambulance service, let's be honest, out there. So is that, you, you get well looked after in we that do. aspect? We do. So yeah. nothing, and, right, and rightly so. Yeah, I mean, nothing's yeah. government funded. That's the thing. So the people of Yorkshire... It always amazes me. Oh, so me nothing's how, government. This is like a. This is purely Yorkshire Ambulance is purely a charity. Um, so wow, I didn't know that. So it's a charity service. Yeah. So if, if it wasn't for the people donating, then it wouldn't exist. Yeah. Without the people donating, without the people supporting, so we've got some fantastic volunteers. They go out, rain, sun, whatever, and they're just there shaking the buckets or doing whatever they need to do to be able to try and raise money. We've got people that leave us money in the wills, grants, this and the other. I met a, a chap the other day who is very kindly leaving us some things in his will, you know, so he came to look around the aircraft and it's just the, the so kindness what, that, of these that, people. That, 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 that shocks yeah. me because it's like with the RLNI, they're exactly the same. They're a charity. And you think to yourself, yeah. you know, this, that, that, what they do and what you guys do to think that it isn't, you know, there's no government sort of fund just as a foundation to make sure yeah. that you're not reliant on the people because, you know, you never know how times change, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. uh, especially with the layout of the land now. Um, 
But wow, I didn't know that. It's a fully, fully, it's a charity. Yeah, fully charitable. So it's, wow. both aircraft cost about £19,000 a day to run. So that's, that's sort of- £19,000 a day. A day. To be able to run the service that we do. Fucking <laughs> you know, That so is some fair. charity, uh, that's some charity money there. Yeah. But at the same time- And you're out every single day? Every single day. Um, without a foul even if the aircraft's offline for weather if the weather's too bad because obviously we've got legal limits that we can fly in yeah sure um, then we've got two cars that we can go out on as well so we can provide sort of our service the same yeah. service with a doctor uh, and a critical care paramedic but we, we just do that on the road instead wow so we're always there we're always providing a service sort of 18 hours a day mm-hmm. is, is what and what's, what's the worst uh, worst situation you've been to um, in on the helicopter and, and you know obviously the importance of getting that person on that helicopter yeah. straight to that to to where they need to be to be dropped off to be you know to be taken care of or to be let's talk kept alive. I get this question a lot. What's mm-hmm. the worst thing you've yeah? You've been I suppose to? What's it's the worst thing. It's like with me. It's the same. Like how many? And I'm like, I can. I've been to so many dodgy missions where I've yeah. been shot at, and you know, people have come out alive. People haven't. I'm still here, but the, you know, there. You know, it's just. It's, it's the thing, so almost almost a personal thing, isn't it? Like I can remember certain missions because of something that that hit me personally or scarred me emotionally. You know, because I'm like, you know, again, whether it's with children or you know, it's it's. Yeah. Or do you do you cut yourself off emotionally at all? Or is there some things that you go, oh, that was a tough gig. I've really got to get my head in the right place now and are my emotions intact because because of what I've seen today. I think you have to. Yep. I think you have to be, you have to have a certain mindset and you have to almost, not a different personality, but when you put on yeah. that flight suit, when you go to that job, you just have to be completely it is in a that per- Do you know what, Sam? It is a different personality. I, I think yeah. you're right. You almost have to take one head off, don't you? And put, you put another head on. You do. You, you can't let feelings get in get in the way of it because yeah. then that affects the job. You've just got to rely Absolutely. on your training and re- rely with that muscle memory to be yeah. able to, to do it. And, you know, we see some horrific, horrific things. We see body parts, all sorts. You know, I'm not even going to... Yeah. go into to the things that we see but it's not what you'd think that stays with you yeah. so there's one job that will always sort of stay with me and people think like why that mm-hmm. um, we went to a, a patient who had unfortunately died mm. and this was sort of during the school summer holidays so as we were going towards the house you could hear crying which is natural you know mm. um, but there were three kids there sort of three young teenagers and the dad went upstairs there's nothing that we could do for this patient you know they, they died in the night came downstairs and sort of said to the dad, you know, can we just have a chat? And he said, anything that you have to say to us, he said, you say it to us all as a family. So I've now got a dad and three kids stood in a line looking at me. So what do you do here? So I had to tell them. I had to say, you know, unfortunately, she's, your mum has, has died. And we have to use died, you know, if you say passed away, then people in that moment, they use they think of different things. Yeah. So you have to be quite direct and say died. Mm. But, you know, at that moment, and this is the part you'd almost think that they'd all huddle together and, and cuddle each other. Mm. But they didn't. They just stood there in a line looking at me, crying. And normally as a paramedic, you can say something, you know, we, we're really, really good at being able to tell people something yeah. to help reassure them. But what do you say in that scenario to... No, husband you're almost kids. dumbfound, aren't you? Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're almost hoping that the father steps in and but he's just as traumatised as the kids and the kids are probably just shocked anyway going through that shock of the, yeah. what the hell is going on that moment. And yeah. it probably, you know, you were there, but, you know, it's those pauses, isn't it? 
Uh, it's the same with my mate. It's just those yeah. pauses and that moment of reflection. It's yeah. almost surreal. It's like, wow, is this actually happening? Yeah. And then the realization of of it is that's what I suppose is 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 quite hard to wow, right. quite hard to to, to to deal with. And that's why I ask because you know, children, it's it's no matter what, how much you detach yourself from a situation or you try and emotionally you know shut off or you put on that other head. It's the same with me. You know, my Afghanistan head was completely different to my home to my family head. Um, but there's 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 that. Uh, attachment for me with children with family then children you know in, in situations like that where you think to yourself you know it's just a look in the eyes i remember sitting across and this this young boy had been caught up in a um in a bit of collateral um what i mean he'd be caught up in in the firefight not knowing that he was there and he got hit a couple of times and it's just he was sat opposite we we dragged him on to the helicopter again you know just helping him um uh the medics were on him he would just sat opposite me and I can just remember after that mission, it was a heavy mission as well, you know. Um, and again, unfortunately, he got caught up in it. But I can just remember, and again, I've been on loads of missions like that, but just looking in his eyes and I can know, I see it as clear as day, his eyes were just what, and it's just that moment of of silence almost, you know, it's yeah. just like, like you said, standing there and watching it, you know, you think they will come to you. It's, that's why I say about the personal thing is it, it can't help sometimes, but hit you personally I can just remember looking at this kid and going I sort of had to break break stare because it was you know it it gone into my soul does that make sense yeah that's it I, I know um, exactly what you mean you yeah. know we go to car crashes where people are really badly trapped and they're really injured and you know yeah. they're in that dying phase they are dying and, and you know it, that it's that look you know they look yeah. at you in your eyes and you can just almost sense that that fear and that I don't know what's going on it's almost the the non-verbal mm-hmm. sort of yeah. Look that you give people to say everything's going to be all right. We're going to do everything we can for you without even saying that. Mm. It's just that sort of connection, and I can imagine that sort of the, the sort of thing that you mean when. And how do you cope with that when they look at you, thinking that you're going to be there, where which uh, a lot of times you are their messiah. You're going to keep them alive, but you're having that responsibility, knowing sometimes that it's just not going to be possible. How do you deal with that? It, it's really hard. Yeah. I don't think there is a particular way that you deal with it. As as a person, yeah. I think everyone has their own different ways of dealing with it. You know, mental mm-hmm. health's massive. Yeah, sure. And that's what we have as a, as a team, as the ambulance. We're, we're mm. really, really good at being able to mm-hmm. sort of deal with that. Um, but just in that moment, you just have to try and stay positive. Yeah. You know, ambulance crews, they, they might call for backup um, for, from us. They, they need our assistance and we go. And it's almost like you are it. You've got to be that air of calm, you've got to give that reassurance, even yeah. though it's like a swan, isn't it? You're all graceful on the top, but then you, you're paddling like <laughs> hell underneath. <laughs> Those legs are going, yeah, 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 you're flapping. And that's it, you know, that's that's just what we have to do. Mm. I think it was, uh, was it Robin Williams that said something like, if you treat a disease, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but when you treat the person, you win every time. And that's it, you know, sometimes yeah. it's just treating the person and that's what you need to do. Sometimes Absolutely. their clinical course, you know, it's never going to be, uh, never going to be great for them. No. Um, but just being honest as well. Yeah, and I suppose keeping yourself busy as well, you know, getting that next call. It's the same with, with me in a, in a way, you know, you almost, not you forget about it, but, you know, you, you, it's, it's, it's non-stop, isn't it? It's just like yeah. constant trauma to trauma to trauma. Not not you personally, but, you know, you, you're, you're going into these, into these um, scenarios, into these situations where you know, especially the air ambulance service, knowing that it's going to be critical... So, you know, all, all of a sudden that's that's what I found is like, you know, 
I've sort of not forgotten about the previous mission, but it's like, well, I now need to deal with this. I now need to make sure that these people are safe. I get, you know, mission accomplished here and do what I need to do. And then yeah. there's that, that concurrent activity and then keeping yourself busy that helped me with my, let's say, mental health, that helped me deal with the situations that I dealt with yeah. was actually keeping myself extremely busy. And that's what the uh, ambulance service does as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it comes back to just being a very different person when you go on those jobs. Um, you, you just have to sort of, you have to have a switch that you can switch on and off as yeah. and when you need to. Like only the other day we were doing some PR stuff with the charity and I was sat on the floor wearing a Santa hat, having a cup of tea with a Santa in front of a Christmas tree <laughs> with some pictures. But then the siren goes and automatically, you know, <laughs> heads Hats in the off. game and yeah. you, you do, you know, yeah. literally put a different hat on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you have to, I think you have to have that. And does that help you, does it? Yeah. It and does. as well as the team around you, you know, we, again, we talk about the honesty of the team around you. Um, the debriefs, do you have, do you, do you, do you come in and have a debrief before, before you hand over, before you knock off on shift on, on the day's activity, everyone okay, everyone good to go, any problems? Do you, do you, do you have that on a regular basis? Every single job. Every single job, Every yeah, single same. Job. So on a morning we have a, a flight brief, so mm -hmm. that sort of talks about weather, any problems. And, you know, one of the questions is, is everyone okay to fly? Yeah. And if you're not, and whatever that might be, whether you've got something going on at home, yeah. safety's paramount. If, yeah, if dodgy gut or yeah, whatever yeah, it may yeah. be, yeah, like a, yeah, something, a distraction that's going on at home. Yeah. Where, yeah. And if you're not safe, then you don't fly because it's yeah. just such a critical thing. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the jobs, we, yeah, we debrief every job. And it's hugely important, right? And I don't think a lot of people in, in and mental health can, you know, you, you don't have to be part of the air ambulance service to suffer from mental, it could be something like walking outside into, into big crowds, you know, yeah. open up your front door, yeah. you know, it's, uh, I think it's what's so important about mental health is having that crucial, that critical team around you where you yeah. can debrief because a debrief is communicating about what, what, what went wrong, how we could do things better, how, how are you? How are you motivated? How are you getting on? Any any yeah. issues? These are the issues. How do we um, overcome these issues to progress and to to make yeah, them yeah. better? I think debriefing any any organisation is not done enough. No, it, it seems to be done only at the top levels, and it's um it should it should be done in in every organisation on every handover in in every 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 situation. Absolutely, and it's, it is important to talk. You know, you get the ambulance service; they are job to job to job to job. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, they have time in the cab to be able to talk, but they don't really have time to be able to sit down and have a meaningful conversation about, you know, running through it. And I think that's really important for mental health, you know, how, how your brain works, not to go into it too much, but mm -hmm. when you have an adverse experience, when something happens or you see something yeah. or whatever it might be that's triggered a, a negative response, mm -hmm. your brain doesn't know what to do with that. So as you'll, you'll know, it puts it in boxes, yeah. so metaphorical boxes in your head. And if you stack those boxes nice and neatly, if everything's folded nicely and put in, then you can keep putting stuff in this box and, you know, because you're dealing with it quite well. But if you don't deal with it well, the box is a little bit messy. You just chuck clothes in, they're all crinkled. And then yeah. over time, with all these things that happen... chaos in there, isn't It's there? chaos and the box explodes open. Mm -hmm. And that might be one job or it might be, you know... A, a multiple, a new, multiple of smaller jobs. jobs, yeah. You just never know. And the way that your brain sort of makes sense of that and folds it nicely then, if you like, is just by talking about it. And it's hugely important to be able to talk. But I think it's that, you know, thing about mental health, um, especially in jobs like yours and in jobs like mine, um, mental health is, I don't, I don't believe is dealt with in the right way. Mental health is sort of tiptoed around. It's like, all, you know, mental health is hardcore. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really hardcore. Your job, hardcore. Most jobs out there, they're hardcore to that individual. That's why they're suffering from mental health issues. And having that hardcore approach of just being honest 
open, communicating, debriefing all the time is, the, is for me the way to tackle mental health rather than yeah. tiptoeing around a situation. Where's the trigger? Where's this? You know, again, I'm not there. There are some situations where that needs to happen, but I'm talking about the majority of mental health in, in workspaces, just about the debrief, sitting down, being honest, being open, dealing with a hardcore, a situation with a hardcore conversation, yeah. hardcore situation, hardcore conversation, direct, honest, bang, and away we go. And before you know it, like you said, flipping on to the next, we're flipping on to the next, flipping on to the next, you know, and then multiple things are just not forgotten, but they're just, right, I've got, I've got, I've got things to do. I've got more lives to save. I've got more people to, to help, you know, and again, that, that does, does help with uh, with you moving forward in in a in a psychological robust manner i think yeah it does but i think until you're in that scenario where you you're given the platform to be able to talk mm-hmm. it's sometimes a little bit hard for them to, to come out with it because people think you know what what are these people going to think of me if i open up yeah. and say i've found this hard whatever it might be mm-hmm. there's that sort of yeah that stigma behind it isn't that it? stigma isn't behind it? it but actually you know when you open up to to somebody and tell them i'm i'm struggling with this and it doesn't have to be the words i'm struggling it no. can be can we just have a chat? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what we, I think, do really, really well, that we are able to be completely open, completely honest, and it's talk cr- it's about It's crucial, isn't it? Something. It's critical. It's critical um, that you do that. It is. And that, that for me, helps massively. And um, talking about land and talking about roads, road accidents, do you, because you, you're air, land, and sea, right? Do you go out to sea or do you leave no. that to the Coast Guard? Leave that to the Coast Guard helicopter. Okay, okay. Um, do you have a liaise with them? Do you ever do do synchronised sort of missions, training programmes with them? Yeah, we Is do. Is there a layover? We try. That? Yeah. Um, but just with those guys being so busy and with us being so busy, it's really difficult to sort of get, Got you. get yeah. a, a mutual training day as such. But yeah, yeah we, we have a really good in, uh, relationship with the other ambulances around us. So yeah. sort of, you know, you've got Great North, which is a little bit higher. Um and then you've got sort of... So like you said, there's so many layers. Do you, do you communicate? Do you, do you, do you sort of uh, to a you know, come extent. together every now and then? To a certain extent. I mean, if we're both out on jobs, then we might call them for, for assistance mm. to come into our area and vice versa. You know, so we have night vision goggles because mm. we're able to fly at night. Um, so, you know, other ambulances, some of them don't have that. So we're able to go into their areas and help out um, with the really, really critical patients if we need to. Uh, but in terms of sort of merging between, you know, joint training... We tend not to do so much. That's more of a internalised thing that we do with ourselves. And is there a what's the most bizarre calling that you or, or, or they're all just so <laughs> hardcore, critical that you're just like they're all fucking bizarre. But what's the, have you gone out to one where it sort of made you chuckle under your breath, thinking, you know, what, what are we doing here? Uh, not, or or not, they they're all quite serious, yeah, hardcore. To hardcore. be honest, yeah, yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, because we're such a, a finite resource, you know, if we're on a job, we're, we're on that job. Mm. And if something happens across the whole of Yorkshire, then that we're needed for, we can't because we're because mm. we're stuck there. So generally speaking, the jobs that we go to were were needed for. Yeah, what I like about it, and what I've gathered from this conversation is, you are quite a specialised unit. You know, yeah, specialised unit, unique people for unique jobs. Um, and it is, I can only interpret it is like the special forces of the ambulance service because it sounds exactly the same of, of how we would progress from the military to maybe becoming a recce troop operator a sniper then into the special forces yeah. um and a lot of people are interested in the, the air ambulance right you get, you get a lot of lot of a sort of awareness on it you get a lot of people are fascinated by it yeah, what, what, what 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 do you think they're fascinated by i know the special forces are fascinated by the cloak of secrecy not really knowing what's going on you know what do you think they're fascinated because they are 
because I'm fascinated by it. What are they fascinated about about the air ambulance service? I think it's just the whole thing. I think yep. it's the stuff that we do. Mm. Um, I think, you know, the TV programmes have helped a lot with that in terms of highlighting what we do and showing people, you know, that there is this out there. So if you get really, really poorly, then some of these guys are going to be coming to you. So it's almost that reassurance. It's almost like the, the, the hero of the air, you know, the hero of the of the medicine world or of the, of the, the ambulance world coming to you. You know, it's like when you... When you know that's on its way, it's almost there's a, there's a reassurance there. There it's, is. It's, it's a case of right, you know, I've got the the best of the best coming now. They're gonna you know, sort me out and they're gonna whisk me off to to where they're gonna keep me alive. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't particularly like this term, but I can see why people think of it. it you know, they've described us as it's, you're like an angel that falls down from the sky yeah, and then yeah. comes to make everything better. Mm. But at the same time, we're a really really small part of a big machine. You know, everyone that is on that scene, whether it be fire service or the ambulance service, the police, everyone is I like that. doing one thing, and that is to look after that one patient. And I've been to some scenes where it's absolute carnage. And there's one patient in a car, and that's all there is. But you've got maybe 20, 30, 40 people there. And each of them has a really, really small... but Hundreds of thousands, millions, role. millions, millions of pounds of assets of... of, of, of yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's it. So... With the air ambulance, for me, it's a job. Yeah. Um, I can certainly remember back to when I wasn't on the air ambulance and they were backing me up on jobs and I was thinking, oh, God, thank God they're here. But now yeah. you're doing it, I, I don't feel that myself. It's yeah, I know, yeah. Is, you don't because you're immersed job. in it. It's the same with me when I was in the Special Forces. You don't think... It's only because I've, you know, I've been out of it now that you think, wow, I used to do that or I've done that and I've... You know, that used to be the norm to me. Yeah. That you actually then you realise, but when you're immersed in it, it's just you're just doing your job right. Yeah, and sometimes it's just the reassurance. Mm. Sometimes it's going to cruise. You know, I've I've been to jobs where there's been an ambulance and they're they're really stressed, but they're doing an absolutely fantastic job. Mm. And they've said, "Oh, thanks so much for coming," and you know, you've really helped. It's like, well, we've done nothing. We've just given yeah, you, you some you reassurance did. because you're completely on it. You know, mm. um, and obviously there are jobs that we we are needed for to be able to do some critical things, which um, hasn't has an impact on everybody. You know, it's not just a, it's not a decision lightly you'd take with, you know, one of the doctors to, to open someone's chest up. Sure. Because for us, yeah, well, you know, we can train it and we can do it and you switch off from that and it's it's almost not a person, you're treating something. Mm -hmm. But for the guys that don't see that, it must be quite horrific to stand there and watch someone's yeah. chest been opened in the middle of the street. But, uh, you know, to think that you're capable of doing that and, you know, you've got the, cap the, the capacity and the capability and the assets to do that. That, that's reassuring full stop you know and I would say out of all the conversations that I've had about medicine about NHS you know this is the most sort of warming one that I've had knowing that there's people like you out there that when the push comes to shove and your life is on the line that the angel from the sky <laughs> if I see you descending I'll be like yes Sam's on his way I know I'm gonna be good um it's really really reassuring to know and um it's, re it's really good to know. And do you have trouble taking your job home with you? How, how, and how do you separate the two? Again, it's it's almost hard to describe because it is like a mental switch that you just switch off. Yeah. I think the thing with being a paramedic is because you've got that sort of registration as such, you can never stop being a paramedic. You can't go home and say, I'm not a paramedic anymore. And then walk past someone in the street that needs something. How hard is that though? Do you, it's hard. Is, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really hard. But at the same time, I think everyone that does it no one's malicious in in the medical world. 
Have you got a family, Sam? Have you got have you got a partner? Or? No, no, just no surprise there. Just <laughs> me. <laughs> so, <laughs> and this is why, Sam. This is why. <laughs> yeah, maybe doing something wrong. Aren't you? <laughs> no, no, you're doing something right, mate. You're doing, something. but it's um, yeah, it's. Uh, I know my wife used to find it extremely hard to live with someone like myself. And I, you know, and when looking back at it, I made her right. So um, this is why I ask. But you know, some jobs, and like the special forces, some jobs are just meant for for single single women, single men that that can just go out there, focus on their their, their work, and you know that has to come first, really. You know, it, yeah, it, it does. does. It, it, the special forces was the same. I hate to admit it, but it came first over my family because it was you know, when I got called. You know, they didn't have a choice. I used to go to it, and I suppose that you know. When it's probably time for you to sell, you'll soon pass on, like I done, pass on, pass on the the, the torch and uh, yeah, that's it. And, uh, I think the ambulance, you know, certainly it's it's not something that you can do forever. Yeah, it's not one of those jobs that you can Agreed. move into and stay doing that because of the stuff that you're exposed to over time. Yeah. It's bound to have some form of negative sort of mental impact on you. Yeah, of course. But whilst you can do something about it, I think that's really important. And as cringy as it sounds, it's almost like you're married to your job, isn't it? No, you are. You of. are. It's not not cringy. It's it's a fact. You yeah. know, it's it's let's let's call a spade a spade. It's exactly that. It's yeah. a fact. You know, you are married to the job. They're expected to you know for you. To, to be on call and you know that when that call comes in the, you know your priority is is to attend to that call yeah, over yeah. everything else yeah you know, you're putting yourself in that firing line and you're sacrificing your life really um for others which takes a certain individual mate and it's been a pleasure sitting here with you um so chatting about it too. and um fascinating to hear as well and um yeah listen if i ever get into trouble sam and i look up hopefully you'll be coming down to help me out but I like to think that I'm quite responsible and that all that dangerous stuff that I've done is is is, is in the past. But um, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Sam. Thanks for me. And uh, thanks for coming on. Okay. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks.